May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, many of you know that a couple of weeks ago I returned from an Alaska cruise with my entire family. Fourteen of us, yes, the entire family. Was our time together going to be like today's gospel? Everyone pitted against everyone else? The days leading up to the cruise, I was a bundle of nerves. I couldn't concentrate on anything because I was so nervous that the entire experience would be uncomfortable because either our family would be fighting or we wouldn't like the ship or we would find the other passengers on board disrespectful or somehow the boat would have a major mechanical breakdown at sea or would sink like the Titanic. I was worried about everything, every bringing fire to the earth scenario. In attitude, in experience, and maybe even in a physical way, this cruise had me as nervous as any travel experience I've had in years. Thankfully, it turned out absolutely lovely. We really can't deal with the unexpected, can we? Whether we're confronted by others with differences of opinion, when we're presented with differing sets of facts, um, when we encounter something very surprising like a sudden and unwelcome medical diagnosis, or discovering some kind of new conflict we enter into with a friend, or even a new insight about life that really disturbs our hearts, we do not like the unexpected. It pains us. It scares us. At times, it isolates us and makes us question everything. We do not like being cast out on open water without a clear pathway forward. Imagine the people during Jesus' lifetime. So many of his followers were peasants who had virtually no rights over their lives. So many of his disciples, even, did not have the skills to interact with people who were culturally different than they were. The Bible even tells us that at times Jesus' family thought he was nuts. So much of what Jesus taught was unexpected. Love your neighbor as yourself. Welcome the stranger. Feed people when they're hungry. Heal people with incurable diseases and forgive those, and actually pray for the people who are your enemies. These actions of Jesus, in many ways, tear our view of reality in our world upside down. We don't know how to react. At times, it's, make, it's enough to make us put our hands in the air and give up altogether because we can't deal with this. Bringing Jesus' fire to the earth is at best unsettling and at its worst, terrifying. Consistent, though, this is very consistent with Luke's gospel because it's all about the arrival of the kingdom of God on earth through the life and ministry and presence of Jesus. It changes everything. Shockwaves are sent out whenever he does anything. Think about it. Jesus heals someone, and then he's criticized for healing them on the Sabbath. He talks to single, unmarried women in public, and his followers are scandalized by his social impropriety. He does things like touch lepers, 
making himself ceremonially unclean. And instead of this resulting in him getting sick, he actually heals the lepers of their infirmities. The arrival of God's kingdom terrifies the world. We might think this is only, this, is, this was all in the past. It was all in Jesus's day. But we don't have to look too far back in history to see a lot of the same things. I'd like to offer a few observations. Remember that this week marks the 400th anniversary of the arrival of African slaves to North America along the shores of Virginia in the year 1619. While the owning of slaves was sadly deemed acceptable by many in the 17th century, others had considerable moral questions that arose. We know that, for example, in 1780s England, a man by the name of William Wilberforce was elected to public office, and he immediately began campaigning against the slave trade. Shortly after he was elected, giving a speech in Parliament, all of the members of Parliament shouted him down and attempted to silence him. Business owners were appalled that he would advocate for something so radical as the abolition of slavery. But William Wilberforce never gave up. His resolve never tired, even though for two decades he virtually made no progress on the issue at all. He was determined and driven because of his faith. He saw something about the kingdom of God being ignored and he championed every effort to right this grave societal wrong. By 1807, the tide of public opinion in England was changing. Not only at this point did Wilberforce start advocating against the slave trade exclusively, he then began arguing for the end of slavery itself. His health at this point wasn't great. It was failing, and he still wasn't getting entirely where he wanted to be. And so he felt obligated in 1826 to resign his seat from Parliament. He realized this was a fiery issue for his society to contend with. He knew he was right, and he was unwilling, even after he resigned from office, to stop advocating for this cause. His contemporary John Wesley commented on his efforts and wrote him a letter to encourage him. And in John Wesley's letter, he says, be not weary in well-doing. Go on. Go on in the name of God and the power of his might till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish before it. Even though the fire of controversy was being cast upon the English people with Wilberforce's admonishment of the slave trade, the tide did eventually turn. And in 1833, literally just a few months before he died, through legislation, through an act of parliament, the slave trade came to an end in the British Empire. Social change is never far from this holy fire that Jesus casts upon the earth. Look at the civil rights movement and what happened then. When Brown versus Board of Education in 1955 ruled that separate but equal facilities in public education were not equal and by default intentionally discriminatory, 
the federal government had to send troops to part of the American South to put down the opposition to school integration. A few years later, when Martin Luther King Jr. and his followers began nonviolent protests in the face of horrible oppression, they were met by police dogs, tear gas, beatings, and even the killing of some of the civil rights workers. His I have a dream speech, you may not know this, but his I have a dream speech was so threatening to the status quo that CBS television prohibited him from using large portions of the original speech, forcing him to think on the spot and retell the American public about his quest for freedom and equality through imagery that sought to unite and not divide the country. The Civil Rights Act was eventually passed in 1964, and the legal freedoms that Dr. King sought were realized. But the fire still came down upon him, and he was assassinated in Memphis in April 1968. The social change still sparked a great fire, a good fire and a bad fire. And sadly, these fires in some way continue to burn. In the episodes of civil unrest through the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in August 2017, two years ago, what we saw shocked our country in the, into the tragic reality that the fire of opposing liberty, truth, and justice for all still burns. Our recent reports of injustices towards immigrants, the separation of children from their families, the institutional racism found in our criminal justice system, the subhumanizing rhetoric aimed at people who are culturally different than we are, and the mistreatment of the undocumented open old wounds and confront our national divisions in ways in which we believe Sadly, we believe have no end. And sometimes we want to give up altogether because we start to lose hope. Yes, the truth and righteousness of God's kingdom does at times result in fire being cast upon the earth. But we must not lose heart in this. We are better than all the bad behavior we witness and we are called by the nature of how God calls each one of us beloved, that we're called by this nature of our belovedness to right the wrongs of our society in every way that we can. Theologian Verna Dozier gives us a good dose of realism in her book, The Dream of God. And she writes this, the faith view of reality is frightening in its openness. So institutions are always trying to control reality with doctrines and laws and creeds. Kingdom of God thinking calls us to risk. We always see through a glass darkly, and that's what faith is about. I will live by the best I can discern today. Tomorrow, I might find out that I was wrong. Since I do not live by being right, I'm not destroyed by being wrong. The God revealed in Jesus is a God whose forgiveness goes ahead of us and whose love sustains me in the whole created world. 
that God bursts all the definition of our small minds, all the limitations of our tired efforts, all the boundaries of our institutions. Hmm. A God that surpasses our limitations, one that helps enliven our minds, that's the way we begin. Our faith in healing the divisions of our world starts with real soul work, some real heart work, helping us know that we aren't always right, but God isn't going to destroy us by getting it wrong some of the time. The holy fire of God that is brought upon us calls us to our better selves, to equip us with a robust resolve for justice and God's mercy, even during those times we want to give up. Our conscience and our faith tell us we can't. We can't give up. The kingdom of God is too precious and too exciting a place to be. Even when we exist in a space I like to call the messy middle, that space where fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and even our in-laws are at odds with what to do next. This sole work that we're called to do is a lifelong journey. Even if we want to throw our families overboard sometimes because they make us crazy, or we ourselves are wanting to jump off of this merry-go-round of life's craziness. Even if nothing seems to go our way for a very long time, we cannot rest. We cannot put out the fire of God's love contained in Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God. We cannot stop loving. We cannot stop being the peacemakers. We cannot stop having our hearts live into a resolve that believes in a world where love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control rule the day. The Holy Spirit has a hold of our hearts and won't let us go with this. We can be a part of God's kingdom, and we can be a part of championing the kingdom for the rest of our lives. Don't give up. The kingdom of God is at hand, and yes, sometimes fire results. But the love of God that burns in us will burn even brighter if we continue focusing on the things of God, seeking God's mercy and justice in, and love in all things everywhere. God's blessing will rest upon us, even when we're living in that space called the messy middle. Don't give up. The active work of God in this world depends on you.